0: Amen? Yeah, amen. You know, it is the Word of God, and uh, we believe it, and we always say every week that, you know, may God ride it on our hearts that we may not sin against Him. There's a lot here in what you just heard read, isn't there? And uh, it's a lot to cover. The gospel uh, has been going uh, since, you know, going forward and advancing, and uh, it's been doing that ever since Jesus got out of the grave, and it'll continue to do that. What you just read is the gospel, the message, saving message of Jesus Christ going uh, to this region of ancient Philippi. Uh, Today, it's actually modern-day Philippi, (laughs) still in the country of Greece. And the gospel was going forward in this text. I mean, in our text, the hope of Jesus goes forward despite demon possessions, then exorcisms, then beatings, then imprisonments, and then earthquakes. And despite all of that, the hope that is found in the gospel triumphs in the passage of scripture you just heard read to you. Hope triumphs. Hope helps. Hope triumphs. Hope. The gospel going to Philippi means hope has gone to Philippi. And that's the main theme of this passage, hope. Now, what comes to mind when you think of spiritual disciplines in a Christian's life? If you've been around church at all, you know that there are you know, disciplines, there are things that you want to do as a Christian. If I ask you that, I bet some things come to mind, like reading your Bible, right? I mean, how many of you with a head nod, you know, you listen to me and say, yeah, read my Bible is a spiritual discipline, right? And you want to read it more. Or praying comes to mind, maybe. You want to pray more. You want to fast, maybe. Giving, sharing your faith with others, you know, all of these things. Maybe fellowship. These are all spiritual disciplines. They're good, they're true. They have to be pursued in the Christian life. But I think one majorly overlooked spiritual discipline in the life of a Christ follower, you know what it is? Hope. Believing. Hoping in the gospel continually. If we fail to hope or to have hope, I think in regards to people, there's really two negative reactions that most people uh, that are you know, not hoping in Christ kind of fall toward. The first group is if you aren't hoping, if you're not being disciplined in understanding what it means to have hope, it, it means you maybe start to despair, begin to get anxious. In your life, you get panicky in your life. And the worst manifestations of a lack of hope that go beyond a Christian that doesn't have hope, also into the category of even a non-Christian that doesn't have hope. The worst manifestations, the most severe, turn to extreme depressions and suicidal tendencies. It's in our text. You heard it in the Philippian jailer. A second proclivity, another group often when we don't have hope in, in humanity. Another group, maybe it shows up differently. It turns into like an intense rationalization. Everything becomes really rational. Uh, people, you become cold maybe. Indifference, you just don't care. It's hard to care. Negativity. You know, The worst manifestations of this lack of hope is really severe anger and murderous thoughts. We are people made in God's image that need hope. And if we don't have hope, and we don't have ultimately hope in Christ, the worst is to be feared. I mean, let me be clear this morning. If we are not in Christ because of a lack of hope or having hope in a wrong object, it will kill you. Hopelessness will kill you. If you are not in Christ, be warned today if you have not repented. And place your trust in Christ. You need hope. Even still, if you are in Christ, you need hope. We are not beyond being tempted to hopelessness or either of the categories that I just carved out. If you're here in Christ, you know that. So the question that we are going to be discussing this morning is, how can we be disciplined in hope? You know, how do we set our hope fully on the grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ? That's what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.13. Now, this morning, our passage that you just heard read, it's a narrative, okay? It's a story. That's why we read it. We always read the text before, but this morning, it's very important, and our brother did a phenomenal job. You know, it's a story that I think can help us see a way forward despite maybe a lack of hope. You know, our passage, what you just read, the story, it is hope in action. Uh, It is hope at work. And it's going to offer to me and you some examples of how to follow you know a hope-filled gospel-centered life. It's also going to give us some invitations, I think, to have hope ourselves as we hope to see the gospel go forward around us and in us. Hope, it helps, brothers and sisters, it helps. Our outline, if you're following along, uh, we're going to have three principled truths about hope that I want to talk about if you're taking notes. Here's what they are. What you're going to see in this story, hope helps us endure suffering. That's going to be point one. Hope helps us endure suffering. Secondly, in this narrative, this story, you're going to see hope helps us help others. It helps us help others. And then thirdly, we're going to see this morning... And hope helps us be bold. Hope helps us be bold. So hope helps. Hope helps. Let's talk about the first point. Hope helps us endure suffering. Look in the text again. You know, we preach through books of the Bible. And so we have come to this uh, place in Scripture, verse 16. And it really kind of starts with this as we go and as we start. It's really kind of launching us straight into something that has already been going on. Now, verses 16 through 25 are gonna show us that if we have hope in Christ, we can endure suffering. We'll use this first point to really understand the context this morning so that we can see there is real suffering in this passage and that suffering can actually point us to hope if we are suffering. So let me say at the start here a couple of caveats, if I may. In our passage, and and as we come to those in Acts, there is great suffering that Paul and Silas and the people with them endure. Let me tell you about suffering for a second in regards to reading Acts. Okay, it's best understood fully by, by you know, those, you know, these, the, if you're going to understand these passages, it's going to be understood by men and women who have suffered physically, have suffered socially economically and, and spiritually like them. So in the strictest sense, we really need to be kind of thinking, let's not overestimate our own suffering in comparison. I don't know if any of you, and, I, and I'm looking around, I, I would just venture to say you've never been beaten with 39 lashes to the point of almost death like these apostles experience here, apostles and disciples experience. And so in one way, we need to think when we come into this, let's not overestimate our own suffering in comparison. In a lot of ways today, we need to be humbled by this passage. Invited to consider maybe future sufferings. You you likely have experienced very little of what they have. Okay, that's one caveat. Here's another one though. At the same time, do not discredit the present suffering in your own life by comparison either. Uh, Christ the Lord, he's a good shepherd and he is a good shepherd to every single sheep that is his. And so listen, if that's you, you need to also know, you know, if you're a sheep and he's the shepherd, whether you're a sheep that's thrown yourself over a cliff or you're falling off of a cliff and you're bashed to pieces, or maybe you just grazed on some bad grass and your suffering this morning is self-inflicted because you've wandered. I want you to know that Christ. And I'm, you know, I can speak for the Lord here as the good shepherd, I hope to say. He cares about your suffering. So when you read this passage, don't discredit your own suffering. If you do either one of those things, you're going to not listen well. You're not going to learn what this text has to say, especially if you minimize your own suffering. You'll never learn, you know, if you constantly dismiss your own, you'll never learn the spiritual impact that suffering is meant to have on you in your life. All right, that being said, those caveats out of the way. Let's understand this passage so we can believe, so we can hope uh, that we can endure suffering with Paul and Silas here. Uh, Verses 16 through 18, they picked up a continued work of God that's been going on in this city, Philippi. Uh, If you follow along uh, in our church, you know Blake preached a wonderful sermon last week. It's online if you want to listen to it. But it told us God has already been at work in this city. He saved a woman named Lydia. I mean, God has opened her heart to believe the scriptures, and that happened at a riverside. And now there seems to be like a riverside church almost happening, you know, like just an organic movement of God here that God has saved Lydia, saved others, and Paul and his companions, they keep going back to this river, and that's where we pick up. And they're at this river, and they're, they're, they're kind of just going and teaching God's word and preaching the gospel, and people are, are you know, believing, and, and, and that's really cool. But then, as you know, all of a sudden in this story, I mean, where did our first verse lead us? A slave girl who had a spirit of divination shows up. Now, that spirit of divination and this slave girl concept, these are really, really foreign to us in 2022, right? I mean, these are foreign concepts. Um, but we need to understand them if we're going to see the suffering ahead. When it talks about, um, this idea of, uh, of a spirit of divination, it really literally in the Greek is a spirit of Python is the word. And, uh, this may seem weird to you, but if you will remember, we're in the heart of a Roman conquered Greece in this time in history. Okay. Okay. The Roman Empire has conquered Greece. We're in Greece. We're in Philippi. Uh, and in and, and conquering them, you may not know this, but uh, when Rome conquered people, they were very intentional with either you join the Roman Empire and join the army, or you become enslaved to the Roman Empire, and those were your options. Now, the Greeks, they have this entire like background and culture that is filled with art. It's the Greek myths, especially. This woman, this slave girl that is mentioned here, she uh, is in all, in every way basically filled with an evil spirit that most famously existed in uh, the in, in an oracle of their time called Delphi. And it was this serpent figure, actually, that she has... Uh, Basically, they believe in, in Philippi that a, a god, Apollo, had slain and killed this evil serpent and then got control of it and then was using it to give mankind truths. And this girl working for these now Romans who have enslaved her has been possessed and is quite literally making them money. Making them money by her by her ability to to predict the future and fortune tell. That's what's going on here. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. <laughs> now, that's weird, right? And, uh, and we're sitting here today. That's confusing. Some of this would have been kind of charlatan magic and illusion. Some of it, however, guys, is truly satanic, demonic, and evil. And she shows up, and what is her plan? She is frustrating Paul. And over and over again, as they go to the river, she is following them and, and, and this spirit, this evil in her is speaking through her and speaking an affirmation, but it's a mocking affirmation. So when you see in your Bible there that it says she's following them and she's saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. That's true. That is who is here. That is what they're doing. And they are proclaiming that, but she's doing it in a mocking fashion. This goes on for many days. (laughs) So I'm slowing down here because I want you to realize the scene here. In all of its bizarre turn for us, this is what happens. On the edge of missions, when the gospel's advancing, this kind of stuff is present sometimes, and in Philippi, it's there. Now, verse 18 tells us that this work of Satan and demons is happening, but Paul gets fed up with it. I love the book of Acts, don't you? Paul Paul literally gets annoyed. I mean, it says, right? He's greatly annoyed at this at this girl who is doing this. And so this woman is mocking them. And, you know, Paul says, hey, he's had enough. And he casts out this this, this demon. And I want you to hear this morning that we don't know if whether or not this this, this slave girl came to believe the gospel that Paul was teaching. But we do know that Jesus had said that when an evil spirit or someone, you know, has an evil spirit, when it is cast out, it leaves and it goes, you know, to a wanderless place and, it, and then Jesus said it would come back and it would, and, and it would find a house, clean swept and put in order, and that an evil spirit, Jesus said, may go and find more evil spirits like itself, come back and make the last state of the person worse than the first. This is Jesus' teaching when he was on the earth about evil spirits. Regardless of what we believe about angels and demons and spirits and filling people and, and those things this morning, it's not the point of this text. We can talk about that with you. Love to answer your questions later. Regardless of what you believe about that, Jesus is making a point that if something goes out, something has to fill it up. If something doesn't fill up when we, you know, get the evil cleansed out of our life, then we will be worse if we're not careful. I bring that up to say we don't know what happened to this woman, but we know. That after she did this, it became what was happening down at the river that could be ignored, has now all of a sudden come come into the city, and so it could go one of two ways. Maybe the woman went back to them and, and, and her masters and said, "You know, I don't have, I can't help you anymore, and I and I want to follow a different way." Maybe she found the hope of the gospel. I hope she, I hope she did, but the Bible doesn't lead us to you know, understand more than that. But in some fashion, she went back and then starts the suffering. Now I want you to look at verse 19 through 24 because it's because of what I just told you, that context, that now we see that there are some serious sufferings that happen. They go back, the, the, the owners that see that their hope of gain is gone, they can't make money anymore off of this, what do they do? Let me show you something. Look in the Bible. 19, they seized Paul and Silas. That doesn't sound pleasant. It's not. They grabbed them with violent hands. That's what that means. Dragged them into the marketplace. They dragged them into the middle of the city in front of everyone. Verse 20 says that when they had brought them before the magistrates, you know, they they badmouth them. 21, they say, hey, they're, they're teaching false things. Then the crowd getting stirred up, what'd they do? They join in attacking them. When it says "join in attacking them," it gives you more commentary that they are literally the crowd is striking them, spitting on them. You know, attacking them means to physically, you know, be after someone. The leaders tear their clothes off. Paul, Silas, tear literally having their clothes torn off in the city square, and then gave orders to beat them with rods. Do you see verse twenty-two where it says "beat them with rods"? In the Roman conquered uh, cities like Philippi, Roman leaders had equipped local leaders with these giant bundles that they would squeeze together. And in the center, they would keep uh, one that had sharp edges that they could kill a man with, an execution thing. And, you know like Rome does, they would bundle these really tight and they would make sure to leave them with city. And, and that way, anybody who steps out of line in the city is going to be receiving the punishment of being beaten with these rods. These rods, you know, scrammed together and in the middle of them, they could pull out. They needed to execute someone. That's likely what's happening when they get beaten with these rods. Most, uh, most who were sick or weak that end up in this beating die those who are a strong enabled body like paul and silas uh, can live but they live in misery i mean oftentimes they would be you know paralyzed after this or they would be i mean just maimed horribly they get beaten and so when it says that i mean it's not you know it's not just one time verse 23 when they had inflicted many blows upon them more than likely they they were you know receiving 40 minus 1 39 lashes and 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 being publicly beaten. If that weren't enough, they're thrown into prison. Roman prisons at this time are nothing glamorous. They're horrible, horrible conditions. Uh, No no restrooms. Everything's on the floor. no, no, No sanitation. No healing. They don't go to a doctor first. They're bleeding. They're hurting. They're thrown in prison. And the jailer who we meet in verse 24 receives them gladly, but doesn't just put them in one chamber, but puts them, do you see in verse 24, in the inner chamber, the inner prison. Oftentimes these were built on hills and therefore the most like lowest point would be the inner point, the worst place. All of the sewage would run to the center of it. All of the nastiness would be there. And if that weren't enough, he puts them in stocks. Roman prison stocks were designed to stretch your legs and your arms suspended as far as they could in hopes of inducing cramping. And that's what our brothers in Christ, missionaries to the city of Philippi, endured for the sake of the gospel. And there they are. Now that's some intense suffering, right? To be bloodied, bruised, beaten, broken down, Can you be this morning with me, with Paul and Silas in the stocks? What would you do? Would you complain? Cry out? Would you despair? Beg for death? What does hope have you do in the midst of such suffering? Well, look at the book. Look at verse 25, my friends. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns To God, and the prisoners were listening to them. (laughs) About midnight, they couldn't sleep, probably, right? I mean, cramping, misery, pain. They pray and sing? What? Like, what? I mean, I, I just, I'm blown away when I read this, and I wanted to preach the context very pointedly this morning because I want you to just see it in the Bible. But I want to preach to you now, because I mean, for a minute, when you read this, surely you stop and say, that's unbelievable. We'll believe it, (laughs) because it happened. Aspire to it, because it happened. (laughs) That's the hope the gospel gives to a man who loses everything but their own life. That's what the gospel does to someone When you've been transformed by the hope that Christ loved you enough to go and bear a a punishment that your soul deserves forever in hell, when he did that kind of suffering for you, you will gladly sing at midnight amidst your own nasty sewage, strapped up in cramps-inducing pain being almost at the point of death, and you'll sing a song to Christ unbelievable. Crying out to the Lord of suffering, in their suffering, Paul and Silas identify with Jesus. Paul will write later to the Philippians, the Colossians, the the churches that are in Corinth, and he will often reference the stripes of Jesus. And then he will often say, I boast in my own scars that I have so that you may see rightly the scars that he had. He shares in the sufferings of Christ. He has hope. This guy has hope. Silas has hope in the bottom of a Roman prison when they are nearly dead. And it's not just an arbitrary hope. It's a hope that remembers to sing. They sing songs. You know how glorious this is. They have enough of it. They have enough hope to fill the entire jail with it. So that other listening ears who have no hope are forced, (laughs) literally a captive audience, forced to hear sung, our God is faithful, our God saves. We don't know what they sang. We know it was hymns, right? So something that they'd been singing at the previous cities they'd gone to, maybe it's the hymn that Jesus sang with his disciples before they took the Lord's Supper and he was betrayed and murdered. I don't know, but they sang a hymn that they knew. It's beautiful. Do you have such hope this morning? If you know Jesus, I'm going to tell you right now, this hope is yours. I'm serious. If you know Christ, this hope is yours. And I want to invite you, having seen their example now in application, I want to invite you to be disciplined in pursuing Christ in your suffering, whether it's happening now or it will happen. Let me give you some application, okay? Christ wants to transform all of your suffering into hope. So take everything that is suffering in your life and submit it to him. Because if you will do that, Christ will transform your suffering into hope. Look, be on guard in your heart against despair. Be on guard in your heart against depression Be on guard in your heart against sinful thoughts that don't lead you to pray and sing praises to Jesus, even when it's hard. Be on guard. Be on guard. If that's your proclivity, what we talked about in the intro, oh me, oh my, I can't, I'm anxious, what am I going to do? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, give that suffering to him, and see, is there one that can maybe help you to pray again and to pray until you pray? And to sing until you start singing and then until you can really sing, I promise you there is in Christ. Be on guard in your heart against indifference, against dismissal. You know, they could have, instead of crying about it, they could have just gone real cold, right? In their own will, just gritted their teeth. All right, so be it then, God. So be it. And they could have dismissed. They could have had angry thoughts that led them to hate their beaters, hate their tormentors. How dare they do this to us? Listen, beloved, if that's your temptations, guard your heart against such things. Pray and sing and believe that Jesus is going to help you in the midst of suffering. He can soften the most angry hand. Don't you know he's about to do it? (laughs) He's about to do it, isn't he? He's literally in this text about to soften the person who was angry and, and, and got pleasure out of torturing these men more. Hope should lead you to a place where you can pray and sing. So can I encourage you this morning? If you be in Christ in times of suffering, lead your heart to pray and sing. Let me tell you a quick story. Joni Erickson Tata, raise your hand if you've ever heard of Joni Erickson Tata before. Okay, a few of you. She had a diving accident when she was, when she was in her teens, maybe early 20s. Uh, very active, and when she hit the ground of the, when she dived off into water, in shallow water, she broke two of her vertebrae and became a quadriplegic. So her arms and her legs don't work from that point on. And she has lived now for five decades in a wheelchair. And Joni Erickson uh has suffered greatly. There's a video, and I'll be glad to send you the link if you want to ask me, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you. Crossways put together a video where they're just asking her to reflect on 50 years in a wheelchair okay? She's known to spare. Paul and Silas in prison. Joni Erickson Tata was suspended by her arms and legs for two weeks in traction, so miserable that God, and angry at God that when people left the room and turned the lights off for her to get some rest, she remembers shaking her head as violently as she could, hoping that she could break her neck and die. And she gave her suffering to Jesus, saw Christ for what he is, the one who suffered for her, gave her life to Jesus, and now has had 50 years of honoring God through suffering. It's worth checking out. This is what she says, quote, Suffering will teach you who you are. It's a textbook that will show you the stuff of which you are made. And sometimes it's not very pretty. Suffering will squeeze that out of you. We say we know Christ. The next time you suffer hard, find out what comes out of your mouth. That will show you how much you know Jesus. And then she says this, and in that sense, suffering is a good thing. You know, we're told and we're praying in our churches all the time, God, keep us safe. Keep us safe. Keep us safe, God. But God really says those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer. So maybe we should say, God, when we suffer, keep us dependent. Keep us in you. Keep us singing. The video I'll send you if you ask me for it, Joni, has been singing deep, rich, classic hymns of faith out loud that we just sang. (laughs) Great is thy faithfulness. And can it be that God could save me? You know? She's been singing those for 50 years. And she has found in her suffering that there is a tender, sympathetic, merciful Savior that wants to point her in his sufferings to believe that he is enough. Now, I tell you that, that's application of this first point. A true hope, if you are in Christ and saved, it is one that can endure suffering. So let this gird you up, guard you against when suffering may come. Secondly, if that happens, and you've got hope to endure suffering, our text shows hope helps us help others. That's our second point. Look at verses 26 through 34. We see this point clearly in the conversion of this Philippian jailer. You know, because of the hope Paul and Silas have in their suffering, this man, his entire household, um, you know, a man who actually caused their suffering, were saved. And I just want to take a moment to investigate the helping hope that's in this account. Okay, verse 26 and 27, you see, um, you know, to see hope helping this man, we need to first understand his hopelessness. I mean, in all likelihood, this jailer is probably a retired Roman captain, um, oftentimes, after you retired from the Roman army, you didn't just—they didn't have you know accolades and really good admin positions for you. You just kind of got out of the way, so other strong Roman generals could come in and do what you've now you know not done. I mean, you're kind of expend, expended, and so you go. And so guys like him would end up you know having all this glory probably on the battlefield now, where they were living for. Now they're in Roman prisons, which I've already explained to you are not the greatest. You know, it's a downgrade. And I think we learned that about this man in the text, because when the doors fly open, God literally causes an earthquake <laughs> to save this man. Pause real quick. If you remember last week at a riverside, at a sweet little Bible study, there was Lydia and all that had to happen was God said, hey, you know, Paul says, hey, trust Christ, believe that he's the fulfillment of the scriptures. And God opened her heart and believe. Some people believe like that and praise God for that, right? Praise God. I mean, some people had the testimony of, my parents told me about Jesus my whole life. I love Jesus and I can't remember not loving Jesus. I know I got serious about God and he opened my heart to believe in him. Man, praise God for Lydia's. Some people need an earthquake (laughs) and this man needed an earthquake, right? But this torturer got his eyes on Jesus because when when the earthquake happens, everybody's free, what does he do? He defaults to despair. He grabs his sword and he shows he's only been living barely for a little bit of what he has left in this jail. And he says, now that that's gone, I've lost everything. I'm going to take my own life. He needs help. He needs the hope that Paul and Silas have, right? And he gets it. You know, This is an intense moment, a potentially hopeless moment, right? But God, verse 30, I love it, right? Verse 30 says that, that, you know, he brings them out. He says to Paul and them, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, how did this guy know to ask Paul and Silas, what do I need to do to be saved? We need to ask ourselves that. Well, I think you need to realize that the thrust of this Luke is showing is hope that Paul and Silas had became instantaneously infectious when that man had a crisis, Like instantly, the hope they had became a billboard to him. He has literally overlooked any opportunity in his whole life to trust the gospel until this moment. Earthquake, Paul literally shouts out, Don't kill yourself, we're all here. And God in heaven shines the hope of the gospel in this man's heart, begins to regenerate his life. He cries out in desperation How? My life is a mess. Verse 30, what must I do to be saved? Likely, this man probably doesn't even know what he needs to be saved from fully. He just knows that everything he's done has been bankrupt and has ruined his life. And now he needs to know what do these guys have that they can look him in the eye with love? I mean, this guy, when they showed up beating, beating and needing help, got a sick got a sick excitement out of throwing them into his worst place and tying them up in chains. And that man is now on his knees saying, what do I do? Isn't that awesome? God wants to use us. If we have hope, we're able to help those who don't have hope. Paul and Silas, hope in the gospel. It's infected the prisoners. You know, they don't run away immediately in the text. It infected this hardened soldier And it is doing it in such a way to address the deepest part of everyone there. Here's our application. Let's just pause for a second as the church this morning gathered and consider uh, this work of God. Let me speak to the members of RBC. Let me ask you, do you believe that men and women are asking these kind of questions deep down? You see, if you have hope, you need to work to convince yourself to believe that they are. Because by all accounts, as Paul and Silas look this man in the eye and get thrown into prison... It doesn't seem like God's doing a thing in this guy's heart. If there's any hope that he's going to be saved, it definitely is not visible, right? I mean, if anything, it's the opposite. He's enjoying mocking. He's enjoying putting them away. But deep down, he's asking questions about his life. You see, when they start singing the gospel, I I bet he feigned sleep for a little bit before he actually fell asleep. I'm sure he heard them as they started wailing and, you know, with these other prisoners and this strange hope. And I bet it struck him to say, I'm a little bit uneasy in what I think I know and who I think I am. I think there's a lot of application here for us. If we have a real hope in the gospel, we need to start having hope for people that don't have hope. This man didn't have hope, but Paul and Silas were going to have hope for him. That's evangelism. (laughs) Evangelism is trusting God all the time. All the time, even when somebody we're sharing with laboring alongside, maybe for years, doesn't come to know Jesus, we have to have hope in the gospel. Why? Because it's the only, the gospel is the only thing. It softens the heart of Lydia's and helps them hear the gospel. It also sends earthquakes. But the point is that these workers were ready. They had the hope to help someone who didn't have the hope. Do you have hope that even, uh, you know? People you can't see believing that God is doing something when you share the gospel with them. I hope you do. Paul and Silas are ready with the gospel, even for one as vile as this man. You know, you realize this man uh, chose, you know, after getting his orders to put them in the nastiest part of the prison. And, you know, when you take into account everything I've told you today, put them in the stocks to cause them more harm. You know, then he's saved by the gospel and he has hope. And what happens? Let me show you something What happens. Remember, I said the point of this is what hope helps us to help people who don't have hope. Verse 32 and 33 again. Let's read them again. It says, they spoke the word of the Lord to him. How can I be saved? They spoke the gospel to him and to all who were in his house. Verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. (laughs) And he was baptized at once. He and all of his family. Do you see that? This man probably hasn't washed someone in his entire career and life, for real. But all of a sudden, overwhelmed with the hope that he's now received, he can't help himself. I mean, they wanted to baptize him. He believed, his household believed they're going to baptize him right there into the forming church in Philippi. I mean, this church is going to come together. I mean, this guy's probably gonna meet Lydia later. I mean, Lord is doing work in Philippi. A whole letter is gonna be written to him later, right? But right now, before the urgency of baptism, he says, hold on a second. Let me, let me heal what, like, let me show you, right? Like, let me grab ointment out of the prison here. Let me doctor your wounds before you baptize me. It's impressive. Hope endures suffering. Hope helps us help others. It's seen in the man. Finally, in closing, hope helps us be bold. (laughs) Verse 35 through 40. For time's sake, let me remind you of what uh, we've already had read to us in this section. Uh, Paul could be free to silently leave Philippi in this last bit of section, okay? Um, the, the the man has gone, talked to the police, told them what happened, and they're like, you know, okay, you know, being freed. And, and you know, they, they, they do not have to face these ruling officials. This man has served them and served them to the point where they're able to, like, leave. And so they are the ones, uh, you know, having been publicly beaten, thrown into prison, remind you. They could get away scotch-free, no issue, you know, whatever, But Paul doesn't do that because the hope he has leads him to understand, I think, some words that Jesus gave. So, you know, Jesus in Matthew 10, when he sent out his disciples, he told them to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Strange, strange uh, words. Well, the dove, the dove, the innocence of Paul and Silas, we've already encountered, right? I mean, in their innocence, they receive this whooping with rods. They're beaten almost to death. All the things that are them submitting to that is them, I think, being as as innocent as doves. I mean, for the sake of the gospel, they'll endure suffering, right? If it means some will be saved, they do that. Now the serpent part in Paul and Silas is coiling its wisdom. And in wisdom for the purpose of establishing the kingdom of God, Paul strikes. He's wise as a serpent here. And and the same hope that makes me and you soft and sensible to the suffering we must endure, and the same hope that helps us to help others is also a hope that can make us bold when we have work for God that must be done. Let me show you. Verse thirty-seven. Paul quotes. or Excuse me. Uh, you know. Uh, you know. He, he show, Yeah yeah. He quotes his fiery zeal here uh, to to the Corinthians uh, to the Philippi. Uh, Verse 37, but Paul said to them. So he's telling the jailer this, having heard that he can go, okay? He's telling the jailer, he's saying, hold on. They have beaten us in public. They have beaten us uncondemned. In other words, we didn't go to the court about this. You know, in Philippi, there was a court system. This angry mob and magistrates, they skipped the court system, threw Paul into the streets, beat him half to death, and then left him in prison. Paul's saying to the jailer, hold on, they want to let us go? Uh, They they beat us in public. They, They did it uncondemned. Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison, do they now want us to go out secretly? No. No. Paul's bold. His hope tells him, no, let them come themselves and take us out. Look, guys, Paul goes full Karen to the glory of God in this moment, for real. He literally calls on everything he can in this moment to say, oh, they want to squash out what they think they've squashed out? Nah. no, nah. Jailer, go to them. <laughs> Tell them, no, we're Roman citizens. We, we, we are here and not going anywhere. We're, we're, we've endured this. Why? Well, because he has in mind a boldness that will advance the kingdom. You see, Romans were supposed to rec- were not uh, to receive this type of punishment. When he talks about his Roman citizenship here, the law then was to inflict corporal punishment like this on a Roman citizen. It was a grave violation of Roman law. To do it with, with, without any case, like with any you know, court system, was, was unheard of. I mean, think. look, someone's getting fired. <laughs> That's the idea here. Paul knows they got a system and they've broken it, and he's going to point it out. He's going to exploit it. He's going to say, hey, hold on a second. I want some accountability in this. So Paul stays with the jailer, arms folded, in bold disobedience to these rules. Now what happens? Well, they come begging forgiveness. Look at verse 39. They came and apologized to them. They took them out and asked them to leave the city. Now, Paul's bold here. He makes these leaders come, realize what they've done, and, and, and he, he tells them, you know, they tell him, okay, we're sorry. They took him out of jail finally. They asked him to leave the city. Now, Paul's boldness, leading them to apologize, I think leads me and you to ask ourselves, is that the hope we have for boldness? Is boldness meant to put your enemies in their place? Is that Paul's purpose here? You should ask that. It seems like it, right? I mean, Paul's like, uh-uh. I'm gonna stick it to them. We're Roman citizens. They acted, they acted foolishly. That's what it seems like. But that's not what's happening here. You see, Paul doesn't mind disappearing in the night when he has to. He's done that. His testimony was he got to be lowered in a basket himself to avoid persecutions. So he's wise as a serpent. He knows when to quit. But he also knows that Lydia... And this jailer, and anybody else who's believed, you know what they are? They're babes. They're, they're infants. They're baby Christians. The church isn't formed yet. There's no, the work isn't done. So Paul, who has hope to endure suffering, who has hope to help those who have no hope, and then now has hope to be bold, he's bold for the sake of another. You see, this is the center of the conclusion of this. Boldness to be back in the eye of your enemy, that's not boldness, it's cowardice. If you're only bold to those who hurt you, how are you any different than somebody who acts, who acts that way all the time? Oh, you hurt me, I'm gonna hurt you back. Oh, you messed up, I'm gonna hold you accountable. That's not Paul's heart. Paul has in mind, I'm gonna stand here and I'm going to do a work, even if it costs me my life again. I mean, this, he's willing to die on this. Why? Because he wants to make sure that if he does leave Philippi, which is the plan, he's been called, right, to continue in his apostolic mission. But when, but before he leaves, he wants to do everything he can to make sure that those who are weak, those who are struggling in the faith, that they have something that they can run to. Does that make sense? He, he's leveraging his boldness for another. I think it's glorious. They come and apologize. They take him to leave the city. Does he leave the city? No. Look at verse 40. They went out of the prison and continued on their journey? No. And visited Lydia. They visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, you see that? Now we've got plural. Brothers and sisters, Adelphi here, Christians. When they had seen them, they encouraged them. You know what they did? They like preached the gospel. I bet they sang some of those hymns. I bet they taught through what happened, right? I bet they began to do these normal things that Christians do, things me and you did this morning. They did those things. They probably took the Lord's Supper together. Paul has probably began to identify leaders that he'll write his letter to later. I mean, all this happening, and Paul, because of his boldness, he was wise to be bold. Now he's able to to really kind of form up this group before he leaves them he's committed to discipleship. I mean, applications are endless, but in closing, let's consider one major one. If you have hope in Christ this morning, will you let your hope in Christ lead you to boldness that always puts others before yourself? That's the greatest application from this regarding boldness. True boldness always considers the needs of another before itself. That's true courage. Elizabeth Elliot once said, if my life is broken when given to Jesus, it is because pieces will feed a multitude while a loaf will only satisfy a little lad. True boldness says, break me into a million pieces if you have to because it'll feed more people. I'm more interested in taking care of others than my own interests. That's the heart that has believed the gospel. We must pursue this boldness and humility right now in our own lives. When you read this this morning, consider the opposition that surrounds you. Maybe there are loved ones that you're trying to reach. Maybe there's people in our church, RBC, that we're trying to reach, right? I mean, some of them live with us, right? Some of them are in our families, We're going to meet them on campus. We're going to talk to them out on the streets and in the coffee shops. People that don't know Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. And what will be very rewarding to you is when you will take boldness, when you have an opportunity to share, if you will think, I'm going to do it because I love them and I'm going to put others before myself. That's true boldness. When you care about a weaker Christian and instead of going on and thinking they're keeping you behind, you sit with them for a while. You disciple them. You teach them. You hear them out. You pray with them. This is what Paul wanted to do. If we're going to have hope to endure suffering, if we're going to have hope to help others and be bold, we must be disciplined in that hope. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus is also, as you live, having come through him, he still remains the way. So do it the way he did it. He still remains the truth. So believe in him, and he still remains the life, now and into eternity. If you get that deep, deep inside your heart, you know it will happen? You'll endure suffering. Whether you're suspended in straps, whether you're hanging in, in the middle of a prison, or whether you're on the riverside making purple goods for people like Lydia. I don't care where you are, when you get it, you'll know it. In order to do that, you have to turn to Jesus in faith. Some of you are doing that today, I hope, with the 500,000th time. But we get to be reminded every other week at RBC when we come to the Lord's table that we have this hope and it can't be taken from us. And so before we take the Lord's Supper and lead you in that, we are going to sing a hymn together. The hymn we're going to sing is, whatever my God ordains is right. It's probably something similar to what Paul and them were singing. Because when times are really hard, you need to remember, even when it stinks, even when it's difficult, God's in it. God loves you enough in Christ to let you suffer sometimes. David said in Psalm, you know what he said? I think it's Psalm 119, 30-something. He said, I praise you in my affliction, for for they teach me your statutes. Literally, God's affliction can teach you God's law. If we believe that, we get to sing about it together. So let me pray for us, and our brothers and sisters will come, and we'll sing that. And then after that, we'll lead you in a time of taking the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. God, thank you for the hope we have in Jesus. Lord, let it be a hope that helps us endure suffering. Some of us may be suffering now because of our own sin, others because we've been sinned against. Father, help us to find the hope in Christ that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become your righteousness. Help us to have hope that when we've found it, and helps us, it leads us to help others. God, help us to be strategic, wise as serpent, innocent as doves. Help us to have a boldness about our hope a boldness that declares for the weaker one that we are here and we're gonna help. God, help us to love one another. Help us to remember what that uh, is when we get to do it around your table. And as we sing, God, give give our voices the strength that you gave Paul and Silas in prison. All this we pray in Jesus' name, amen.